What's up, everybody? This is Cheers to Beers, the podcast that lasts as long as a pint. I'm your host, Jess, and uh, thanks for listening. Real quick, if you don't have a beer in your hand, pause this, go grab one so you can drink along with us. Today's theme is a little bit of a kind of a Belgian thing we got going on, so... Uh, The way this podcast works is I grab a friend, foodie, someone who works in the industry who loves beer, and they choose the beer, we drink it, and we talk about it. This episode, I am happy to have two guests. One is my coworker, Brian, and the other is his friend, Steve, who works for Elysian. Their story is pretty fun. They talk a lot about moving from the East Coast over to Seattle, and they're kind of differences in beer experiences between the two coasts and that's something I haven't experienced personally so it's really interesting and fun to hear you know how they got into beer and how for them a lot of their beer started with Belgian beers and imported international stuff and starting with that kind of style that traditional style and then moving over to the hop garden of Eden that is the Pacific Northwest and how that changed and their drinking style changed because of it and what they're into now. So this is the first time I recorded in a pub. We went to a uh, Belgian beer bar in Capitol Hill called Stumbling Monk, which kind of ended up being the the perfect place to record. Stumbling Monk is just this great small little place on the corner that I've driven by a hundred times and I've never seen it. And it's like perfectly unkept, the right amount of unkeptness. <laughs> the booths are kind of tearing a little bit. You can tell that those lights haven't been dusted in a little while, but it's a, it kind of adds to the charm and the kind of old school, dark pub kind of style, which was like just provided the good environment to have this conversation. And uh, since we were at a Belgian beer bar, we of course had to have uh, a Belgian beer. It's the first time we did something on draft, which is also really fun. And also to have this beer on draft is kind of crazy. We are drinking the Dedol Dual Teve uh, by Brouwerij. Fuck, I hope I'm saying that right. Brouwerij de Dole Brouwers uh, from Belgium. And uh, this is also known as the Mad Bitch. Apparently that's what Dual Teve means. I, uh, I'm not going to lie. I spent a little time in Google Translate trying to <laughs> learn how to pronounce things. Um, yeah, because I uh, don't say Dutch words very often. <laughs> you know, I never claim to be a beer expert. I am simply just an expert in drinking the beer. So, um, hope I didn't butcher that too much. The Mad Bitch is fucking amazing. Okay, uh, like I said, this episode was really fun. Having two friends kind of talk about how their relationship was built um, over beer and their kind of East Coast perspective in terms of craft beer and really get to talk about the West Coast style in a way that they're pointing out things that maybe I'm not noticing. And uh, I love how Steve's kind of talking about the East Coast reinvention of the IPA and what they're doing currently on the East Coast as well. Okay, let's let's get to the episode for real. Uh, in this episode, we talk about IPA elitism uh, and summer stories of Belgian beer. So grab a beer and join us. Let's talk about beer. Cheers. Uh, I've never recorded like in somewhere. It's always been at someone's house, so we've always had a bottle to pop open. But since we've got the beers right in front of us, I feel like maybe we should just get right to like the smelling and the tasting and the cheersing. Sounds good. 
Do you need to introduce us first? I'm or? thinking, especially since it's two dudes, you guys should probably say your names. That way people can distinguish who's who. I'm Steve. I just took a s- sniff of the beer <laughs> and I'm getting a head start. <laughs> right. And this is Brian. I have not sniffed it yet. <laughs> okay, shall we, shall we sniff? Yeah. Oh, man. Seriously, that's... Right we off the bat, what do you guys smell? Uh, I'm smelling, you know, I'm smelling like banana, which is, or like some, some fruit, but like not, obviously not dark fruits because it's a triple. Yeah. And, uh, but not, but also not like citrus stuff that might show up in a, in a vice beer. It's definitely a little brighter than I expected it to, but maybe because most of the time I'm drinking Belgians, it's like super dark, like dried fruit flavors. Right. Um, so it's a it's a nice little aroma there. All right, real quick, what do you think about the color? If you had to call this any color in the world, what would it be? The color of beer. Okay, so that's not specific whatsoever. <laughs> but it, it's like the perfect <laughs> color of what malt looks like. Okay, there we go. Coming straight out of the fermenter. Um, it looks unfiltered. like definitely unfiltered or at least cloudy i don't know how they finish their beer but um it just looks like the classic beer which is in its own right a very cool characteristic of beer (laughs) all right guys let's cheers cheers (laughs) also tastes like beer yeah that's good super smooth mouthfeel yeah um and, mm. and taste-wise, a lot like the smell. It's very has sweetness, but it's to not it. too heavy either. Sometimes triples can be overwhelming. Yeah, especially considering it's ten uh, percent. Yeah, um, it's very easy to drink. It doesn't. It doesn't even have like a syrupy quality at all. It's just like solid. Yeah, if there was a smoothie of banana pancakes, that's <laughs> what I'm getting. Mm-hmm. But still has like a good. Like a, a nice malt flavor. It's not like, I don't know, like I said, it's not syrupy. It's not heavy. It's like you still get the crispness that you need in a beer to like be able to drink it. So, what type of malts are you getting? I don't know because I'm not that great at identifying. What cool. are you getting? Um, for malts, it's like it's almost like there's some hidden rye in there, and there's Ooh. probably definitely not. But <laughs> the beer is giving off that perception of having like some sort of rounded malt like mm-hmm. that. That's um, a punch in your face, but combined with the just the awesome full-bodied flavor of right. it, it's totally hidden. Yeah, I still, you know, it's great. I like how even and equal the nose is to the mouthfeel sure. to the taste. Like it's. It's all a bit, it's one package. You know, right. a lot of times Consistent. these stronger beers, especially as, and especially with the darker ones, you often get something that smells and then doesn't follow through or vice versa where it smells kind of plain and then it, it, the taste is just an explosion of, of different tastes. Right. But this is just from start to finish the same yeah. kind of thing. And so it's nice to be able to have one full drinking experience that's 
the same. Yeah, and I think that can just be like contributed to Belgian roots. Um, I just realized that we didn't even say what this beer is. <laughs> we should probably do that. <laughs> oh, it's um, it's a beer <laughs> from a brewery. Uh, yeah, from De Dole Brouwers, De Dole Brouwers in Belgium. The God, and like I don't even know if I'm saying this right, but I'm just gonna say it as like a white person. <laughs> Dual is God. You guys help me out. Dual Teve, triple. Teeth, Tev? Probably just Tev. I mean, there's no accents on it. I didn't. I don't know if there were any online. <laughs> I didn't see any, so I think probably just Tev is fine. I okay. wonder if this is what the Bel- Belgians intended for their beer to, you know, just like confuse. Right. And so we just keep drinking and right. keep drinking, <laughs> and the name gets changed, but it's basically the same every when drink. When I was just looking it up real quick to get some details about it, um, this apparently translates to mad bitch. And in the uh, description from the brewery, it was like, America wasn't happy with that, so we're just going to call it a triple. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what translation of mad bitch could (laughs) even mean. Yeah. Where's that come from? I, like, I tried looking, I tried to find some sort of backstory, and I couldn't see anything, so we'll just have to. The thing is, too, is, like, like you're saying, Brian, this is such, like, a smooth, consistent beer. Like, I feel like Mad Bitch would be, like, something crazy and, like, irrational, but this is, like, such a solid beer <laughs> for such a crazy name. Right. I mean, the, uh, the interesting thing for me is that the only other experience I have with a beer that has the word bitch in it is this beer from Maryland called Flying Dog Raging Bitch, and that is also a solid beer. It's a great IPA. Very much... It's actually a Belgian. Oh, it It, is? It's considered a Belgian. Oh, Oh, an homage, perhaps? Yeah, and so it's also, it's got like a nice mixture of malts and IPA, or a hoppy flavor. Uh, Very much reminiscent of 60 Minute, I would say. Though a yeah, little bit stronger hop right, profile, yeah, almost obviously. with like the ninety-minute yeah, yeah. ABV. Yeah. So um, I want to I want to talk about your guys' history and how you guys know each other. You're both from the East Coast, say Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah. So we're both from Massachusetts, but we didn't meet each other there. Oh, okay. So was it in Seattle that you guys met? The in-between city that we're missing, oh, okay. which was Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, we both ended up there after... Was that for college? Uh, for me, it was for I was college. the George Yeah, Dad. yeah. I went to GW, <laughs> uh, George Washington University in D.C. Uh, Steve went to Virginia Tech. Okay. Um, but then ended up working in the D.C. area. Um, and we actually met through mutual friends. Um, a friend of mine from middle school was dating a friend of his from high school. Um, and that's how we ended up meeting. And yeah, all our friend, or his friend and myself, uh, we all uh, kind of bonded over beer. I was going to ask um, that. <laughs> our second meeting was at um, a really big Oktoberfest in D.C. that's um, held by uh, what's called Neighborhood Restaurant Group. And listeners from the East Coast might know them as the owners of uh, Rustico or Church Key. Um, or Blue Jacket, which is a brewery in D.C. now. Anyways, we uh, kind of just bonded over the, the various Oktoberfest beers and the rest is history. And so then you just both happened to move out to Seattle? Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> um, I moved out 
from Washington, D.C. to Seattle in 2013. Uh, my girlfriend moved out here for UW uh, Law School, uh, which she recently completed. She's graduated. Oh, She's congrats. an attorney now. Holy shit. <laughs> for real. <laughs> and, uh, I was just lucky enough to transfer my job to Seattle. And, okay, cool. Um, Brian came in about a year after I moved here. Uh, he visited maybe nine months into my stay in Seattle. I loved it from day one until that moment. Uh, when Brian came out, we just went around town, drank at Brower's, drank at Fremont Brewing. Yeah. Um, it just had a really good fucking time. And then <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the very first beer I had out here was a Hop Venom IPA, which... Listeners oh, yeah. out here will absolutely know <laughs> from Boneyard. Yeah. Um, and it was like, oh, this is typical IPA that I will have out here if I want to move here. Were you guys like aware of the Seattle beer scene or is that something you kind of discovered once you were out here? Not at all. Oh, really? Not aware at all. No. I mean, we obviously there's like East Coast, West Coast tensions to begin with <laughs> in terms of <laughs> cultures. Uh but even more so with beer culture, um, a yeah. lot of times I think that the East Coast views the West Coast as elitist. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I don't know because I've been West Coast their, my whole life. So especially in their in their their uh, <laughs> their quality or just the IPA elitism, just because we sure. have such access to the fresh hops and everything. Right. Um, we just. I think we kind of take a lot of it for granted. And mm -hmm. so then that comes across whenever we try an East Coast IPA and kind of yeah. look down our noses at what their top quality might be. And so we didn't really, we didn't, we were like, how could it be that much better? <laughs> uh, and then we moved <laughs> here um, and we figured that out pretty quickly. The, the best part about that was just the, uh, like the zero fucks given by Seattleites. In terms of that just that, that just that like they have great craft beer on okay. draft everywhere. Right. And it's it's no thing. Like you don't have to seek it out. <laughs> right. You right. can just it's, it's pretty ingrained in the culture here. Yeah. You expect it. Yeah. Which definitely. might be what you're talking about, the elitism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In terms of what it comes across as, but I don't think that it is that way. It's it's only that way for a very select few. And you have beer elitists everywhere, so. That's true. Um, Did you guys have the intention of working in the beer industry or like the bar industry at all when you came here? Or is that something that you just kind of like fell into? Uh, for me, it was definitely something I fell into. I came out, I moved out here for grad school. I just recently got my degree in public administration. And um, I hadn't worked in the restaurant business since my sophomore year of undergrad. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I was scrambling for a job after graduation and got this job at Burgundian part-time. And, uh, but I think the thing is, is that from the get-go, the beer industry and culture out here very much breaks from that mold of the Seattle freeze. Oh, absolutely. Um, which is really great. Um, when I first moved out here, Steve, who was my only friend out here at the time, had to go and do some work in Montana. And that whole first month I was by myself. And 
one of the ways I dealt with that um, new situation was I would go in August to like beer releases at Rubens and their old place right. or Stoop or um, a lot of those places, Fremont. And I just strike up random conversations with other beer nerds and, and interested folks and it would be great. And I'd have like great conversations and I, I, I actually don't see this gentleman now, but he used to be a buyer at for QFC and I did some bottle shares with him randomly. Yeah. Um, so uh, it was very nice from the beginning to have that like uh, hobby and that culture help out. For sure. It's something else that I failed to mention at the beginning of this that we are not only at a bar drinking, but we are at a specific Belgian bar, uh, Stumbling Monk. And I think that Belgian beer for me is something that I didn't discover until I was in Seattle, which is kind of funny because we're so known for like hops. But it was when I started hanging out with other beer people that they're like, oh wait, you've never had this and you don't know what this is. And I was like, oh my God, there's an entire part of my education of beer that I'm missing. And it's so cool that Seattle not only fosters that local like hop source Yakima, you know, scene, it's also got, we've got places like Browers and we have places like Stumbling Monk and Bottle Works, places that you can really access traditional beer, which is, you know, and another world. <laughs> and I, so much more to learn about. I mean, Browers is straight up Belgian cafe. Yeah. <laughs> it's you, called Browers. <laughs> yeah. They just picked one up and just moved it to Seattle. <laughs> I think what's cool for me and Steve is that we were somewhat lucky in that um, in D.C. there's actually, and in Philadelphia where we have some other beer experience, both of those have two really good bars that have like an international beer cool. connection, Monk's Cafe in Philadelphia, really great beer bar that has a Belgian connection, and then also Brickskeller, which is this old bar in DC that was always known for having like long draft lists, but also having like hundreds of bottles from around the world. And so in the like mid to late 2000s, when the beer scene, craft beer scene was kind of beginning to gain momentum in the US, this was still our only option right. in D.C. to go and try something outside of the USA mold. Be before I went, uh, before live draft boards were in existence, Brickseller was pumping out like 30-page bottle lists where like 90% of what was in there wasn't available. <laughs> like, That's true. That was before the craft beer scene right. now. It was like these ridiculous <laughs> places of novelty that like it didn't even matter. It was just like, give me any Belgian that you have yeah. available right now because I, I don't have any choice and I want to try <laughs> anything. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Steve, why don't you talk a little bit about um, you coming and into the beer uh, uh, so working world? My, my story for landing in Seattle and ending up in the industry is very similar to yours. I just wound it up around town talking about beer to strangers and like realizing that my weird fascination for this thing is also other people's weird fascination. For sure. Um, and then I ended up in a bad situation. I was an environmental engineer and I didn't like my work situation and I wasn't happy. Um, 
so I straight up dropped that. I didn't give a shit about it. Yeah. And um, it was pretty telling when, like, two weeks later, I put out a resume um, to a couple breweries, and I'm getting a phone call shortly after with, like, another human who wants to talk to you and, like, yeah. understands that you're engaged in a passion and you're you're looking for work you want to work um so i i, I kind of stumbled upon it because i just was fed up um but i was always leaning towards that direction anyways so did it go from environmental engineer to a lesion yeah within two months wow with with no plan with like i was yeah. applying for engineering jobs and yeah I was like, oh, cool, I'll just land another gig. You know, we'll make this work eventually. And then Elysian called uh, within two days of submitting my application, which I have utmost respect for. (laughs) Uh, Promptness is, uh, I don't know, very professional. Absolutely. In, In a way that, like, you know, for a brewery to be professional, it's like, all right, that's cool. <laughs> it's funny because I had the opposite effect partially of my own fault. I applied for the Burgundian job I have two weeks after it was posted on Craigslist. And I put at the end of the email, I was like, but if you've already hired, just keep my resume in case someone has to leave. Because right. I know the un- I know the industry has people leaving all the yeah, time. And sure, sure enough, you know, I didn't get the call until two weeks later, but... I was right. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, it's interesting. I'm pretty sure um, I might have these facts completely wrong, but former podcast guest, I'm pretty sure he used to be environmental engineer, and then he quit that. He worked for Amazon, quit that, huh. and uh, now wants to work in the beer industry. And he hasn't, yeah. and I don't know if he's done anything yet, but that's like, he's a home brewer. So, and I've actually tried his beer, and it's pretty good. So it's like... It's interesting. This is like an actual shift that's happening in this culture. Like, people don't want to work corporate. They don't want to work like yeah. shitty office jobs. They want to do something that's about passion, which is like the root of craft beer. Right, and a lot of it has to do with that connection with other people. For sure. You know, yeah. those those office jobs remove that. And uh, the nice thing about beer is that it's not just connecting with people, but it's connecting with people about your passion. Absolutely. It's totally right. I was showing up to work just just prodding people i'm like hey tell me about yourself tell me something you know like <laughs> yeah you know let's find some life in the job <laughs> right that's that's exactly it you know let, let's have some positive mm-hmm. energy because honestly we're all just showing up to work like we're yeah. just all turning out a, a, a job that needs to get done and might as well have fun with it and nothing like beer to inspire some fun and it's so interesting to me how people are willing to drop like a expensive not expensive but like well-paying uh office job Mm. for something that's lower paying but is going to cater to your interests and is going to like actually give your everyday a little bit of meaning (laughs) and be around people who care about what they're doing um i just i just love seeing that in people how it's like it really shows where like the life is even if you're making less money who gives a fuck at least i'm happy and at least like i'm surrounded by people who are happy yeah, and I think, and, and it's not just the people you're working with. It, it ends up being um, reflected by the customers a lot of times, especially in our particular, like in the bar and restaurant industry. Um, we often, in the craft beer kind of 
sector of that industry, we have the opportunity to open people up to a whole new world. Oh, totally. Yeah. And they they um, they feel our passion, and and they they end up, you know, if someone like, for instance, asks for a Bud Light or an American Light Lager or something like that, and you turn them to a different lager that's craft or you turn them to a pilsner or something that's very closely similar but then you like you launch into this huge description of why it's similar they're like oh wow I I never thought about it that deeply I'm gonna like take it a little bit more seriously now and try it and and I think that that a lot of times helps in them making that um, transfer to the wider world of beer all of a sudden they're they're stopping to take a look at yeah. at the market and right. check out what's for sale. And I feel like it's really easy for people to make fun of beer nerds or like people who are into craft beer because it seems pretentious, but it's like it's not pretentious, we just care about what we're drinking. Right. And we just like we just wanna know what it is and the fact that people who may just only drink light beer don't even know like what the process is or like what beer really is. And then you can introduce that idea to them and they're like, Oh, so I don't have to drink an IPA and hate it. I, there's so many other options of things I actually might enjoy more. Right, and there's plenty of options that are very similar to what you're currently drinking. Yeah, totally. Like that's, I think that's the responsibility of beer nerds. Like <laughs> it's not to be, it's not to be like, oh, you want to join craft beer, then you have to start with IPA, sure. right? Or you have to start with um, something else that's very more mainstream craft beer. Like, oh, look at this sour. That's kind of like wine or cider. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, like. <laughs> If what you normally drink is an American light lager like Bud Light or Coors Light or something, there are Pilsners, there are Hefeweizens, there's there's a whole slew of other options that are very similar that you can try and slowly gain entry. Yeah. Um, And it doesn't have to, I feel like some people feel like it's intimidating and it's like it doesn't have to be because we're all here to drink anyways. (laughs) Like we're all here like trying to chill and relax. Like it doesn't have to be some elitism sort of issue and i think that that's why it's great that sometimes especially as as people that are interested in beers if we can find the right situations for all of those different types like if we're watching a game sometimes we just want to drink a budweiser you know me and steve love bud heavy if we're watching a game, yeah, you know, so and it's like it, I'm not above a re- Rainier, like I'll, I'll drink that shit. Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh yeah, like, <laughs> maybe not right now. I mean, the Jubilee cans that they put out kind of help for the winter, but like a, a rice lager in the winter, it's just like the last thing I want is a super <laughs> ice cold beer. Right. Yeah. Like to drink in quantity. Too. And I think that's something else that can go into the concept of drinking beer and even eating food is like seasonal like when people ask me what's my favorite type of beer it depends on the season like I am into barley wines and coffee beers and heavy shit during the winter and in the summer like I'm only drinking saisons and pilsners you know so you're not drinking barley wines in like July (laughs) (laughs) maybe be the death of me (laughs) I would just like pass out immediately in the sun Um, yeah totally no yeah and it's it's just interesting that people don't even think about kind of the seasonal effects of it but it's like that's that's how i drink is depending what the weather is and what the mood is and like you're saying even the event if you're watching a game or whatever the situation is so definitely more to it we talked about how you guys met where you guys are from i want to know 
how did you guys get into beer and possibly the gateway beer that you had the first yeah, time? That's good. That really made you think, oh shit, beer can be good. Sure. Do you know this right off the bat? Because I need to think about uh, it a little I, bit. I could at, at least explain the gateway right away. Okay, let's do it. I was in 2008. I turned 21. I interned in Boston. And I was drunk like approximately 50% of the time uh, going to this super cool bar in Mission Hill called uh, Penguin Cafe. They serve pizza and they serve craft beer. And it was one of those weird Boston bars that only serves beer. There's no liquor. They only have like a license to serve beer and wine, yeah. I think. Uh, Anyways, they had a mug club where you, if you drank like a hundred of their craft beers, you know, on a list, then you would have a mug and you could drink for $5 a full 20 ounce mug nice. of anything on draft. Uh, so we kind of challenged ourselves that summer to all complete our mug club and um, I did it within a month. A <laughs> hundred? A hundred. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it was it was a very drunk summer. So it was in that process that you found out you liked beer. Yeah, they <laughs> they like made sure that you drank like things like Arrogant Bastard. Right, right. With that, like the time, it's just like, oh, this is so bitter. This is so sweet. This is so strong. Yeah. Like, you would drink one of those and then like go to a concert afterwards, <laughs> and you know, Arrogant Bastard would be your pregame. <laughs> For sure. Um, it, it just seemed super cool. It seemed a better alternative to Boston at the time, which is, like, ridden with college students, which is great, but kids that are, you know, downing as much, you know, clear liquor that they can and then, you know, going to Fenway Park to, you know... <laughs> right. <laughs> ...be a drunken fool, uh, which is great. That's, like, what Boston thrives on, like... <laughs> You know, having all those college students in the city is uh, part of its charm. Um, so that was definitely my gateway into craft beer. And maybe Arrogant Bastard is my gateway That's interesting. That's an beer. intense <laughs> gateway beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Damn, I didn't know that. That's Arrogant Bastard is an intense way to jump in. I do remember, though, like just being like 21 and like younger, like when someone would have it, they'll be like, oh, well, I drink Arrogant Bastard. And before, like, people were into IPAs or whatever, and they're like, oh, shit, like, you can drink that? Right. <laughs> it was, like, impressive. So do, have you thought of what your gate? Yeah, I have. Uh, it's a long, convoluted story, though, um, and I would say it, it, it kind of starts, Minecraft Beer story starts in my hometown, believe it or not. Um, I grew up in the town of Salem, Massachusetts, and we had the privilege. Witch country. Hell yeah, yeah. Witch country. Pu very puritanical. Mm -hmm. But my my parents loved beer, but weren't alcoholics. Let me just make just, that clear. Just, clear, yeah. just make that clear. Uh, but my favorite restaurant growing up is this restaurant called the Salem Beer Works. And they're uh, an offshoot of uh, the Boston Beer Works. Um, and, and they always had a slew of microbrews, and microbrews were definitely a thing growing up. Um, and my, my parents and 
us, we would always go there. They'd always order what's called the Witch City Red, which now that I've had it is a very average, <laughs> malty, red ale, amber. Um, but, you know, from the beginning, that was kind of ingrained in me, I think. Would you have the, the blueberry ale with the blueberries I, I, in it? I've, I've had it. Uh, or or in the summertime, they also serve the watermelon with the giant yep. slice of watermelon in it. Yeah, um, that's something a gimmicky, six- but could be fun when you're drunk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but they also they were like a traditional American restaurant that would serve these large plates of food. Right. Some of the best nachos I've ever had, <laughs> but the yeah, plate of nachos was massive. The only way to eat nachos, though, it's gotta yeah, be massive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> true. Um, anyways, when I turned 21, though, I was I was part of that like that group of kids that were always like older than everyone. Mm-hmm. And I turned 21 in DC while I was still working in a restaurant, but none of my other friends, like my college friends, were 21. So when I went out to bars, it was with restaurant industry folk, right. and of course we were getting drunk off liquor. We weren't drinking beer. Yeah. <laughs> but I, the restaurant I was working at when I did turn 21 was a French bistro, and so the beers I would have there would be something like a Stella mm-hmm. or a Ho Garden, Ho Garden, whatever you want to pronounce it. Um, and so the Vice beers and the the Pilsners were kind of my intro, mm-hmm. I'd say. And then right after I turned 21, I quickly got shipped off to England where I did my semester abroad. Oh, shit. And I would say that my intro to craft beer ended up there because at every bar that we would go to, it would either be really expensive American beer in bottles or they would have cheap stuff like Carlsberg or Carling or Foster's, mm-hmm. which was, or uh, I think on cask a lot was this like, it was like Green Mountain or Green Man or something. I don't remember. But they were all like pretty cheap uh, pilsners right, right. and lagers and like really cold beers, but the British version. But the one great part about uh, London is that at the time in uh, 2008, about half the bars were devoted or connected exclusively to Samuel Smith. Uh, and Samuel cool. Smith is a great... Uh, beer that you pretty much can only get in four or six packs here in the u.s it's hard to it's very rare to see them on draft but they make a really fantastic nut brown ale they make a fantastic oatmeal stout um they make a number of really good beers and and so there were a number of bars in london that were devoted to sam or that were that would only serve samuel smith beers and that they would also luckily only be like two pounds which at the time was four american dollars okay and we would go to these old bars that were very, they, they felt like pubs yeah. from, you know, the 16 and 1700s. And we'd have these craft beers. We'd get really hammered and luckily have a subway home. Yeah. You know? That's but a, I, such a unique experience to, like, get into beer. Yeah. I mean, and, an that's, and that's why when I did come home, I would go to a place like Brick Skeller or its sister restaurant, at RFD, and... I would look for stuff on draft because before it was only looking for bottles. Like, right. again, I remember like 60 minute and 90 minute, yep. like dogfish head being at the forefront. I never, 
really thought of Boston Beer Company, which makes Samuel Adams as being craft beer, even though it technically is. Or at least um, they market themselves that way now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, and, and uh, frankly, honestly, because they've been distributed for so long, I never thought of Sierra Nevada like that either. It's, yeah, totally. But Dogfish Head from the beginning, I thought of as craft beer. Totally. And, and so I do have a, a big amount of loyalty to 60 and 90 minute yeah. as well. I don't think I've actually ever had a 60 or a 90 minute. And I think it's because... I never really indulged in East Coast beers because I've always been on the West Coast. So it's always been about what is my local scene and what's going on right there. But it's a shame because I should be able to expand my palate and knowledge of everything, especially with something as iconic as Dogfish Head. It's tough, though, when you start sending things across the country and you're told that that's supposed to be better. It's it's a totally different... climate it's a totally different atmosphere of where somebody's brewing yeah it's like why why am i getting pumpkin ale you know in in four packs when i could buy a six pack of um punkachino or night owl or right right something like that um I would say I would say the other interesting thing is that again, even though the East Coast certainly does have their own flavors and styles, from the at the beginning, a lot of the best that were available he- were heavily influenced by the Belgians, like For sure. Raging Bitch or Ninety Minute. It it definitely wasn't hot focus. Like the East Coast right. definitely wasn't hot focus until recently, mm-hmm. um, and because they never had access to that excellent West Coast style IPA, maybe they were never getting distribution quick enough or, um, you know, maybe there's just not enough available beers to try to really get a taste for what a style is. It's like the East Coast kind of have reinvented what an IPA means recently now that they're getting more breweries, now that they have more people making IPA they're giving it their own interpretation. It's definitely not Dogfish Head's interpretation. It's definitely not Victory's. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, though. Like, both Victory and another brewery uh, in New York, Omegong, those two were also very much, like, built on the back of very strong Belgian-influenced beers, like uh, Victory's, oh, yeah. Victory's Golden, Monkey. Golden Monkey, which is a, a triple as well that's, like, I think it's like 9.8% was available from the beginning in six packs for really cheap or really wow. cheap drafts. Or, they, I mean, Prima Pills is also one of their big ones. Um, Prima Pills is a home run. Yeah, it is. <laughs> they did have Hop Still. Devil, which is a great IPA, but also very multi-focused IPA. Right. And then Omegong, they have the Quad. And they had a couple other ones that were very much more Belgian-influenced. I mean, their their logo is very much. Yeah, and their packaging was, too. They they pushed the 750s early. You know, they had a corked and cage bottle. Yeah, right. And that's something that you didn't even understood yeah. beer could be contained in. Um, okay, I'm going to move on to a uh, segment I like to call drunchies. What's a drunchie? <laughs> okay, I was going to ask. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Drunchy is your drunk munchie. 
So when you guys are out drinking, maybe Ooh. you are chilling at home. Maybe you've been out with some friends. What is your food craving that you get into once you've been drinking? Dicks. Dicks burgers. <laughs> you are the third person Sorry. on this podcast that has said that and immediately <laughs> just don't think hamburgers. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I was like, you gotta, you got to clarify that. <laughs> But it's funny because that's been consistent. That's been a consistent answer in this podcast <laughs> that it's all about dicks. I might, I might get dicks after <laughs> this podcast is wrapped up. Yeah, that is one of the closest options what, for sure. So I don't know because I don't eat meat. So is it just like, is it good quality? Is it the fast aspect? Like why dicks over McDonald's, you know? Um... I wouldn't necessarily pick dicks over <laughs> McDonald's. It's it's all the same breed. Okay. There's there's good milkshakes. There's good okay. French fries. Um, the cheeseburger, uh, which is what I get. Um, just a classic cheeseburger. Just no frills about it. Just yeah, straight just up what you need. <laughs> greasy carbs yeah. and not. Not anything to write home about, but like, also, I'm not going to write a letter complaining about what I experienced. Yeah, I would say mine tends to be salty as well, like fries, chips, kind of definitely the salt. Um, I I eat a variety of stuff while uh, drunk or high. Um, And... uh, Oftentimes it involves weird combinations of ingredients. Tell me some of your weird combinations. I need oh, you to want? You like to hear this? I would love to hear it. Uh, Steve knows what's coming. <laughs> I might just put earplugs in for this. <laughs> <laughs> so, growing up, my dad, as far as I can tell, I haven't been able to find it anywhere else. My dad made this very weird combination of ingredients on a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, and it combined a lot of tastes of salty and sweet, um, and so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, just go gonna just go just into throw, it, just throw, throw it out there. there real quick. It's a peanut butter, mayonnaise, and mustard sandwich. Wait a minute. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let me try to understand before I judge. So okay. you got like the fattiness from the peanut butter and mm-hmm. some saltiness. Yeah. But then the mayonnaise also gives a creamy and fattiness. Right. But then the mustard has got the acidity and the vinegar flavor. So it's still not making sense after I laid it out. <laughs> so I need you to explain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, and I would say that, like, it's definitely heavy to... It's heavily peanut buttery. Okay. And thin layer of mayo, because I personally can't stand mayo more than a thin layer. Okay. And then a pretty good layer of Even a of thin mustard layer is too much of mustard. Um, You're not a mayo fan. He's not he's a mayo not fan. a mayo fan. Um, mayo hater. And so the combination is mostly peanut butter and mustard. Okay. Um, but there is there's I mean there's that layer of mayo in between. What's your bread choice? Go to bread choice. Oh, for for, this. for sure white. Okay, just straight I, up classic I, I white. I tried yeah I tried wheat. There's already too much going on. Um, yeah, there, it's no it's no return in terms of health factor when you add the like you try to add the wheat. It doesn't matter. The ingredients are, yeah, they're they're way too way too extreme at that point. So just like all in with the white. 
the problem is is that I don't know if it was because I got I got my lunches made for me growing up mm-hmm. that early on I was okay with mixing ingredients. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the best things with the sandwich is nacho cheese Doritos. Inside the sandwich or on the side? So growing up, it was on the side. But I combined things for expediency's sake <laughs> later but, on in life. But and, when I became I would, an adult. When I became an adult <laughs> and had choice over the matter, I would start to crumble it up and put it on the sandwich itself. And so you add that taste profile in there. <laughs> And it's pretty crazy. <laughs> I'm just happy that. to hear this because I've never even heard of this combination before. So yeah, it's it's hard to describe, <laughs> um, and it, and it's hard to for people to understand. The uh, thing is, though, is like I d- I'm not even gonna hate on it because I've had some weird ass combinations before that taste pretty good. So it's like I it's not even in my right to be like ew because like I might try it someday and it might be good, especially when you're drunk. I mean, I think what I think what is interesting for people is that plenty of people have had like peanut butter and mayo sandwiches uh-huh. and plenty of people have obviously had mayo and mustard because that goes on a lot of sandwiches that include lunch meat yes right um but putting all three together is where people really scratch their heads <laughs> all right so uh the next segment is called tales from behind the bar steve i don't know if you've ever worked in customer service or industry at all I, I i did catering which okay that could be something if um that tv show with adam scott when he was a caterer oh yeah uh you know I, what i'm talking i about? know what you're talking about i think it was on netflix or something it was on netflix but i i don't know what the name of it is but i i have been told about it a number of times okay i heard it was funny it was funny <laughs> imagine me as as that in the service okay. industry I, right. I, and adam scott Okay, <laughs> great. Um, so this is all about telling your horror stories, your funny stories, any experience you've had, not necessarily behind the bar, but in the service industry that is memorable. Oh well, I can I can I can talk spew away a lot about that because my first experience in the service industry was. Freshman after, or my summer after freshman year, I, for some reason, got a summer job working at a local country club in their restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Where they had this great idea where they paid everyone $10 an hour, which was great at the time, but they didn't give anyone tips. Oh, fuck that. So what was your position? My position was both busboy and waiter. Okay, so you should have been getting tips. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even the valets didn't get tipped. Ah. And the thing was that not only was it like a rule as like workers, like the members knew as well. And so it was basically an open invitation for people to treat us like crap. It was such a horror story uh, for, for working there. Um, but at the same time, it was perfect training for me to go from there to like because any situation is better than that absolutely and and i already i I then had like plenty of uh experience carrying trays of like eight plates on my shoulder i i think whenever you get into some sort of society group that that prides themselves on something that maybe the rest of society uh 
I don't want to say shuns, but like doesn't really give a shit about. Yeah. Uh, I I worked at a college, a prestigious college, and I did catering and the people who I would the best events, the best events I would work were alumni events and were they assholes? Oh yeah. They're all the same type of asshole too. Yikes. Right? Like the school just pumps out the same amount of assholes every year and like every year, you know, if it's the 25th reunion, it's like the same people show up whether they know it or not. Um so my I would pedal for tips. You know, I would be home from college. I'd paid my way through college and pedaling for tips so I could just, you know, buy a $5 solo cup every weekend when I returned. Yeah, trying to, like, with my experience, like, trying to, like, sympathize with someone's horrible golf game was just, like, (laughs) I could not give any less fucks about your golf game, dude. Oh, you hit the sand a lot. Oh, that's that's a hard one. Yeah, that's tough. Sorry about that. That's like <laughs> ten times worth than worse than talking about like the weather or. <laughs> hey, how's how's your backhand in tennis though? Is that <laughs> at, at least improving? So, um, I'm gonna give this beer can a consensus grade solid. It's just solid. I don't know any other word to describe it. <laughs> it's been yeah. consistent. It's delicious. It goes down well. It's a high ABV, which is always a plus. Yeah, that I would. I I actually total. I totally agree. I mean, that's usually my experience with Belgian beers. Yeah. Um, another beer for the listeners that's on the board is Duchess de Bourgogne. Mm-hmm. Bourgogne, and that was a beer that was sold on tap at a very famous music club in dc called 930 club and that was like one of mine and steve's go-to yeah. beers whenever we would go oh, see yeah. a show there i mean and yeah it was solid every time like to have a sour red on tap for every rock show you went to is pretty nuts that's I incredible think. yeah sit sitting upstairs or standing upstairs at 930 club Sipping Dutch's, watching James Blake just <laughs> melt hearts is That's like incredible. It's it's one of the cooler aspects of DC. I I, I think nine thirty club should be an experience for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd love to share another story about Belgian beer Please. that I have. Um, so so okay. So the story I'm going to tell is. One of my family's favorite vacation spots is a town in south central Maine called Bridgeton. And Bridgeton is about an hour west of Portland, Maine. Um, pretty famous beer stop yeah. um, in, the, in the East Coast. And uh, one summer before I moved out west, I got a house up there with four of my friends on a lake, a lot of beer, a lot of smoking weed, Mm -hmm. having fun, that kind of thing. But I found out through Reddit, believe it or not, and and I think Beer Advocate too, um, the forums, that there is this great bar in a town called Lovell, um, L-O-V-E-L-L, about 20 minutes north of Bridgeton, 
um, called Ebenezer's. As in Scrooge? Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And Ebenezer's is right on a golf course. Um, For those wondering, directions-wise, like the downtown of Lovell is literally like a triangle rotary where the town hall fire station post office is. Uh Like, it's super small town, Maine. I I love how your mind works. These details are just, I've never been there. (laughs) Now we understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You drive down, and you drive down this road, and you go out to this bar that's, like, on the edge of the golf course, and it's clearly, like, a bar with the dude's house next to it. So I go in. I I convince my friends to go, first off. And I go in, and it's just, like, it's kind of like this menu here at Stumbling Monk. Like, it is all Belgian beers. And they have stuff on tap. They have, uh, they have like, Rodenbach. They have... uh, Abbe de Saint Bonchien, which their you know sour, uh, is fantastic. Um, they have that stuff on bottle. They have what what uh, Stumbling Monk has right now, the Du de Ciel uh, Peche Mortel, which is fantastic. I always recommend that one. Peche, and their yeah. and their Aphrodite, which is their like chocolate raspberry, I think stout. Um, they have all that stuff in in a selection. I think they have ABT 12. I can't remember what I got, but it was it was another like bottled quad that was yeah. like three years old. Anyways, yeah. um, but the fascinating story is I get up and go to the bar to like look to try to find a bottle that I can somehow smuggle out of the place and bring back to our vacation home on the lake. Uh-huh. And I run into a couple of cool dudes at the bar and I'm like chatting up one of the dudes I'm like, yeah, I'm here from out of state. I'm on vacation. This place is really awesome. I'm really into beer. This is why I'm here. I go back to sit down, and the dude comes up to me after, and he's like, oh, so I own this place. And he's oh. like, come with me. Oh, shit. I was pretty drunk at the time, so I just went with him. And we leave the restaurant and start walking over to Stranger the danger. house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, start walking to the house. And then not only does he not take me into his house he takes me into his basement okay so extra stranger danger so extra stranger danger <laughs> go into this dude's basement at which point no warning bells are going off but then he turns around and he starts like smoking this bubbler okay of weed and he like basically just like lets me into this secret vault which if you look on vimeo there are there is a video of this dude's uh basement and it is a seller of beer history. Wow. And he has beers that are like like Hardy's, I think is what, what it is. Like he has like a Hardy's beer from like uh, yeah. the 1860s. Like he what? has like a ton of beer that's like 100 years old. Um, and, and a lot of Belgian stuff. And he had like a ton of brewery from... From uh, from L.A. that yeah. you know that I've never had that I that at the point at that point I had never heard of. Yeah, like he had a ton of stuff in there Didn't that was just super old. Obviously, no good anymore, but like just <laughs> so fantastic. Brought me in a tour of that and then let me go safely. Uh, <laughs> and so that's just a story that I just love to tell because it's so fascinating from a beer point of view. Yeah. How cool to just meet some, like, that's what's, I mean, minus the whole, you might get murdered in a basement thing. Right. Like, it's so cool to just meet someone at this 
bar you found that was around that specialized in Belgians and great beer and then you happen to meet the owner and it's like this is what's so cool about the beer community that you get to do this kind of shit yeah absolutely I was I was happy to just be able to go to this bar with right. my friends and show them this like yeah. this like Belgian beer stuff and I was I didn't know he was the owner right. like I yeah. was just randomly talking to a yeah. dude at the bar thinking that we were just having a cool discussion right. about Abbe de saint Pontien, you know, and, That's great. and, and he loved the fact that I was talking about it passionately and loving his bar. So it's cool when you can attach that history and, and y'all work at Burgundian, which is attached to bottle works, which is got its history in its own self. Yeah. Like a, imagine the world without bottle works i don't want to think about that <laughs> yeah i mean and he's been mentioned before but our owner the owner of browers and burgundian bottle works fern like he he definitely gives off that that very welcoming attitude as well I feel um, like i've talked to him yeah. so many times about beer like where i've just been a customer where i'll like show up to browers off shift and see Vern and like talk to him about whatever event I'm at or the beer that we're having and he'll love that like I'm having this conversation I mean, about and that's beer. probably the whole reason why he started these businesses you know it's that like we've been talking about this entire time is that passion behind it all right guys well it looks like we are all done with our beers um I say that we cheers our empty glasses thank you guys for being my guests this has been really fun I'm glad we got to talk about Belgians and such and uh Cheers to you guys. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for having us on. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for having us. <laughs>